Canada certainly gave us plenty to dissect. Let's get started. Another race for the world's greatest driver, Juan Manuel Fangio. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. But James Hunt is the world champion by just one single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists, you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead, the world champion. To become a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Welcome back to F1 in Review, the episode and the hour where we look back at the weekend's Canadian Grand Prix, which provide us with many surprises across qualifying and the race. I'm Tristan Fancourt and I'm joined as ever by Angus Gallagher. Now, for those out there with expert hearing, you'll recognise that I am not Tom. He can't be with us today, but you can follow both myself and Tom on Twitter using the links below to find out a little bit more about our thoughts on the latest in F1. So... Let's jump straight in it with our first topic, Max versus Sainz. Now, if you are a Red Bull or a Ferrari fan, you would have gone into this race with mixed emotions because it seems like neither team could really get both their drivers across the finish line into maximum points. But for Max and for Carlos Sainz, it, it gave us all moments of of magic, especially towards the end of the Canadian Grand Prix, watching those two battle it out. My heart was certainly in my mouth working out if science was going to be able to get past Max when the Ferrari actually did put him on quite an interesting strategy. But alas, it was not to be, and Max crossed the finish line to get maximum points with Carlos Sainz just a second or two behind him. Um, so it could have really gone either way. But it had me thinking... With Max's total dominance from qualifying to the race and just completely leading it beautifully, being under pressure from Carlos Sainz for the last sort of 10 laps, is he now unstoppable, Angus? Oh, I mean, it's interesting because we, we propose this as a topic, but now that I think about it, it's, if, we, if we say anything on that regard, we are in the same category as Tom saying... Ferrari is unbreakable, or whatever he said at the start of the season. He's not here to defend himself. So, (laughs) exactly, yeah. So I feel like we can't. We've seen his his uh, prediction go up in flames. So I feel like I'm gonna, you know, take a step back and not uh, not go that far either. But if you were to, and at the same time, he's got a 46 point lead in the drivers' championship, which is sizable for sure. 49, so that's over his teammate, Sergio Perez. 49 over his main rival in the other team, Ferrari, Charles Leclerc. Unstoppable's not the word, I don't think, but Red Bull just look good, man. They just look good at the moment. They've won six races in a row, seven out of the last eight. Uh, That's despite Ferrari getting six out of the nine pole positions so far this season. And Verstappen in particular just looks ominous, I think. I read an article which said that... um, he is now like really is you it's something you notice the year after a driver becomes a world champion for the first time that they just drive with the confidence of a world champion uh, i think i've said this before that <clears throat> i remember when sebastian vettel won his first world championship in red bull and the next year their car was again tip top fastest in the field and whilst it, that was an advantage for sure vettel just drove like imperiously like he mm. almost had that that confidence was just in him and he was just on it and was unstoppable that year and it has a similar vibe for Verstappen right now he's just he's got that confidence from winning that first championship he is just going from strength to strength and he's just he's just stay i feel like he's staying calm in situations and the the hot-headed Verstappen that we used to see is kind of not deserting him but it is it's you see that a lot less often I mean, it, I can think of past occasions where, yes, um, for Saturday's qualifying, in that kind of situation, Max may not necessarily have binned it, but, you know, it was a great opportunity. 
would he have taken advantage every, every time? Not necessarily. But on Saturday with his main championship rival, Leclerc, uh, not taking part, he's up against Science. Perez binned it in the wall, his teammate in an equal car. So that was a mistake by his teammate. But Verstappen just under pressure. You know, this kind of situation where things can go wrong. He was just calm. He was just almost gracefully going across that wet track. Set pole by seven tenths, made it look easy. I don't know seven tenths was over the Alpine, which is a pace advantage you'd usually get over the Alpine, if not more. But it was still, you know, pretty comfortable. He had it under control. Provisional pole lap was quick. Uh, yesterday, under pressure from science, you know, no panic, no mistake, no uh, no real stress. You sort of, at the end of the race, when science has got his DRS, you figured, you know, there's an advantage here. Science has got a chance to, to take the race victory, it's there for the taking. But Verstappen was just calm and he was just getting on with it and you just sort of figured like he's got this under control. He's just he's in a he's in a good headspace, I think is probably the best way to put it. He just looks like he's in a good headspace, he's doing well, he's on top of things. And whilst not unstoppable, I think ominous. If it didn't look ominous already for the rest of the field, it definitely does now because I had in my head like Verstappen and Leclerc going for the championship, but now all of a sudden Verstappen has won six out of the first nine races. And in other years, you'd class that as dominant. So it is looking rather ominous for the rest of the field. We're hurtling through the the calendar at, I'd say, lightning speed, really, because we have 14 more races left before the end of the season. So given that we've had that nine already, you know, we're, we're reaching that halfway point in the season when... We start to get a feel of, of who's going to be in the running for the championship title. And one of the things I, I find quite interesting at the moment is if I if I pose that question to you, Angus, you know, who's in the running for the championship title? How many drivers are you are you willing to name? Because personally, I would say, well, obviously Max Verstappen. And then I kind of get a you know, a bit lost. Well, it's sort of Sergio Perez, Leclerc, and then, yeah, that that's about it, right? Because no one else has demonstrated. You know, you might say Carlos Sainz, but reality is he's so far back in the points that you know that, that Perez and Leclerc are the only ones who have challenged Max so far. So, are we are we heading towards a one horse race just because of inconsistency? And, yeah, inconsistency due to lack of reliability, you'd have to say. Ferrari, I mean, it's nine races since the season and Charles Leclerc has already taken an engine penalty. Now, that doesn't mean he's guaranteed engine penalties at the rest of the season because he's over um, because of his allocation limits, but mm. it just it means he's going to have more further down the line. Mercedes aren't quick enough to be in the hunt. I mean, I know Russell's got the consistency going. He got another top five finish this weekend. That's nine in a row now. But... The car isn't quick enough, and I think it could, you could get to a point where Mercedes will not completely write off this year, but they could just tr- choose to focus more on 2022 because their advantage over the teams behind them will not be uh, reduced to zero or they'll not be overtaken. And over time, they'll probably be dropped by Ferrari in terms of the Constructors' Championship. So you'd have to... And Science, yeah, I think he's too far behind already. He's had three retirements. It's cost him... And he does. He doesn't win as often as Leclerc or Perez, which of course we'll get onto later with debate about whether he's the nearly man. <laughs> but I th- Perez and Leclerc, but Verstappen will have the upper hand in Red Bull, and Leclerc's already is almost two race wins behind already. Now, obviously, that's not insurmountable. Mm. Hamilton was thirty three points behind Verstappen last season before hauling that back and overtaking him. Yes, he was helped by. He got 25 of those points back at Silverstone with that infamous crash. But the point is the deficit was overhauled. If Max has a retirement from the lead and Leclerc wins, all of a sudden that's a win difference and people probably start going, well, the championship battle's on. So things can change. But I think if, for me, it's always if that... It, it depends later on in the season. If the lead gets too big, if it gets like over 100 points mm. by, say, like... Holland or Italy and then you've got six races left seven races left you're probably like yeah let's call it that's uh that's pretty fair to say it's gone to max but up until that point things can chop and change there's a summer break upgrades can come in circumstances can happen um so yeah not 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 over but it's it's 
I'd say even if we were to include other drivers in it, it's no more than a three-horse race. And for me, that's Max, Sergio, and Charles, uh, Sergio Perez, and Charles Leclerc. I can't see anyone else making up the ground, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, but given the other people behind them up, so George Russell, Carlos Sainz, Lewis Hamilton, incidentally, with Lewis Hamilton on seventy-seven, or as I like to call it, a bot-ass amount of points. Um, he, you know, Verstappen nearly has 100 points over him. So he, he has certainly demonstrated an absolute consistency when the car isn't given it up under him, which is absolutely a shame at the moment because Sergio Perez was, you know, should have been fighting, well, really Carlos Sainz um, for at least second place and, you know, covering Max at the very least as well uh, because. That Red Bull car looked absolutely superbly pacey in um, race setup. So for, for Perez's gearbox, I think that's what they said now, the gearbox um, went in front of him. And for that just to give him a DNF was such a shame. I've, I do feel like at the moment the only thing going to hold back Max is going to be the Red Bull car itself or Max's aggression. But the Red Bull car, I don't know, I'm, I'm not as trusting of it. As I am, let's say, the Ferrari, which is ironic, of course, because Ferrari gave mm. themselves a double DNF from their failures last last season. But, you know, because of the opening storm out of the gates, I'm expecting Ferrari to be massively dominant and incredibly reliable. But, of course, they're now causing themselves their own problems thanks to that unreliability and Charles Leclerc having to take another engine and giving himself that that penalty so with ferrari sort of shooting themselves in the foot and kind of messing up strategies as well which i'm sure we get onto i see i feel like max is now in a position where all he has to do is coast ish to the end and make sure that he's just edging his way past perez or leclerc and not taking any risks. And I feel like last season, that was the thing that really led to Max's you know, downfall. Um, and I suppose for us fans, it was an amazing end to the season. But it was Max Verstappen's own aggression that led him to having DNFs and you know other reprimands as well throughout the season. And he doesn't have that this year. I feel like what we've got now is a Max Verstappen that has proven to the world that he's a world champion. And this year has come into the sport giving himself, I don't know, less of a hard time over over getting that first place. And perhaps that's actually, you know, a really good thing. Uh, to, to use a, a golfer now there, G, you know, some of the best shots are the ones that look quite slow. And that's because everything looks quite fluid. And Max this year, again, he looks fluid he looks pretty calm and in control it's not like he's you know putting absolutely everything into it and as you say Angus trying to you know binning it into a wall I think Max Verstappen of last year might well have you know crumbled a bit under science's pressure and perhaps done something like hit the wall of champions but Max this year yeah Max this year he was looking at where Carlos Science was looking at where the Ferrari was faster and going, well, all I need to do is I need to beat you in sectors one and two. And then in sectors, you know, three, when you've got DRS, you're going to come back at me. But I know that I can build up that pace advantage. And it just worked. You know, he was methodical in the way he restarted the race. In the fact that he left it to the very last minute before he, went, you know, he dived off. There was no impatience from him as well. I think what we've got now is a new class of, of Max Verstappen. And... To be honest, I think, you know, if we're going to start throwing out predictions, I think Verstappen at the moment is the only one I can see actually winning. Now, of course, we might have a, a scenario where Red Bull has two or three more DNFs. He might have a collision with Lance Stroll or Nicholas Latifi. Hey, you never know with those <laughs> two. Just one minute you're going along nicely and next minute here comes Lance Stroll. Um, and, you know, of course, we can never predict things like that. But I'll be darn if red bull doesn't win the constructors championship and the drivers championship i feel that's where we're at now it's going to be both i think either they're going to get it all or they're going to get nothing but you know I, I this does have some resemblance to the sebastian vettel domination years and i think 
that's something you know perhaps we can look forward to the fact that we're now going to have you know a brand new person taking control of the sport and then looking at how the other teams start to react to to that because we don't like stagnation in F1 and hey there's no better drive for improvement in teams than you know good competition yeah I think that's fair actually I think it's it's one thing which I know some people when they see a sport being dominated they're like oh it's so boring I want to see people win or more different people win but personally, as a sports fan, not just Formula One, I've always been a big fan of seeing someone at the absolute top of their game, like exuding excellence, you know, whether that's someone like Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo in football, whether that is someone like, to use a recent example, Joe Root in cricket or someone like Tiger Woods at his pomp in golf, just seeing an athlete who's dedicated all their hard work to, to their profession, their job their passion, and they're just at the top of their game. And Verstappen looks like that at the moment. He just looks just on it, like he's just in control of everything. Like I said earlier about a good headspace. I think that I just remember seeing an interview um, with him, which some people interpreted, I'd say wrongly, as him saying he'd retire soon. But he said his his life aim has always been to win one world championship. And after that, he's not bothered. Mm, he yeah. just wants to win. The, that, that, that's his goal. That's his dream. And he's driving like a person who... Not that he's not bothered, but he's just feeling at peace, you know? He's one is one, and any more is a bonus. Yeah. And now, of course, don't, don't get me wrong, the second and the third, if they come, will be as jubilant, they will feel as jubilant, or he will feel as ecstatic as he did for the first. But it will still, if for him, he's like, he's 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 achieved his, his main life goal at the age of 24. So, for him, it's just, it's just carrying on going, carrying on with the grind, working hard, working at his passion... And then seeing where he goes from there. At the same time, yeah, I think that he is, like this year, whilst not saying he's unstoppable, he is looking pretty ominous uh, for this year. I can't believe you're suggesting he'd be anywhere near Lance Stroll or Nicholas Latifi uh, <laughs> at, at any point, unless, he, unless he's lapping them, um, which of course would happen with regularity. But uh, he would never be racing those two, let alone in the, in the higher echelons of the points. Uh, so, uh, but no, I think that it's looking, it's looking good for Max. And... He's dare I say it? Dare I say it? He's looking. He said Sebastian Vettel vibes. Mm. I get that for sure from the early 2010s, the Red Bull days. He's looking like a bit like Lewis Hamilton has over the last few years. Just, just on it. He he, he will do this. Like you said, he do the simple things. He will have a weekend where we're just so used to seeing his excellence that he has a decent weekend. Still pick, still picks up some good points. And then further down the line, you think, oh, remember that weekend where he was like not absolutely on it or the Ferrari was faster? Well, yeah. he still got second place. He hoovered up the points. And now when he is on it, he's taken a full advantage. Yeah. So it's got that vibe, to be honest. Yeah, definitely a driver to watch for the future there. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, rising you know, star. The thing is, though, we, we talk about Max Verstappen with, you know, at now with, I suppose... A little bit of pride, but but also with a huge amount of respect for for where he's come from, from the days where we were having conversations saying, "Oh, Max Verstappen won't win a world championship because he can't finish a race because he keeps crashing." But from one driver that has, I suppose, excelled from one level to a next to the next, and finally is taking his world championship to a, another driver, which you described a, a bit ago in in this episode as a very nearly man, Carlos Sainz, he so nearly won the Canadian Grand Prix. He has so nearly executed good dominance in the Ferrari car, but he always seems to be just a bit off at the moment. Is that fair to say, Angus? A bit off is not is not that fair, I think. It's, it's a case of, we've always been of the opinion that he's a very good driver. And we were also thinking before the season started, this is the year where we finally work out, is Carlos Sainz just a, an extremely solid driver who in any other era, or not any other, but in some eras would be a world champion? Um, it's a tag which Valtteri Bottas arguably has. It's a tag which Sergio Perez could could have. It's a tag which before he won a world championship, Nico Rosberg probably had of an extremely good driver, phenomenal talent, very quick both race pace and qualifying, but he was just up against machines in like Lewis Hamilton, who was his Rosberg's teammate. And 
you wonder if science is the same because but then at the same time like he's just he's he's consistent but it's weird that we class him as like a consistent driver when he's not consistent enough to beat someone like Verstappen or Leclerc like he's very good but he's he's just not quite not quite getting there I feel like someone else would have taken advantage of that situation. I was, I'm looking up at his stats right now. So uh, this weekend was actually his 149th Formula 1 start. So he's about to hit the big 150. And he's got zero wins, uh, zero pole positions in that time. Now, don't get me wrong. He's been in not always a fast car. He started off with a Toro Rosso. He was in a midfield Renault and then a midfield McLaren. Uh, he had some strong results in that McLaren. It, it wasn't the McLaren that won last year with Daniel Ricciardo. It was the McLaren the year before, which came third in the constructors when Ferrari had an off year. So he like, had generally strong pace all year. He got lots of top fives. He almost, almost won in that famous race where Gasly won instead. It was those two mm. going, to the, going to the line on the very last lap. And then the Ferrari last year wasn't, again, wasn't a race-winning car. Like, it got a few poles with Leclerc. They both got the most out of it, I'd say. There were opportunities, like in Russia, when he was running strongly, but then kind of faded towards the end. Hungary, where that chaotic race where Ocon won. Uh, I seem to remember Science having, like, at that first corner, carnage caused by Mr. Bowling Bottas, as we called him. <laughs> I, I, I seem to remember Science being, like, caught up and getting the wrong side of that. So if he got the right side of it, he probably would have been in front of Ocon. But because he was the other side he kind of filtered back and had to fight back to third he came second in monaco last year with the ferrari which is a very good result and those are all part of and the ones this season are all part of 11 podiums he has in 150 starts now of course he's been with midfield cars but now his first year in a race winning car and he's had it's just a couple of near misses like monaco canada bahrain was one where leclerc was dominant so that was never really a factor and you look at you could actually look at those second places recently, and someone would argue, well, he's getting closer now. He's getting into those positions. He was about a second behind the race winner in both those races, so arguably he could be getting closer. But at the same time, this weekend felt like an opportunity for him. Mm. His teammate out of the picture for a race win because of his starting position from the engine penalties. Perez out of the picture, firstly because of his qualifying crash, but then because of the mechanical failure. And Mercedes still not up to it for the race win. So he kind of felt it was Sainz's chance. And yes, he needed a little bit of luck with that late safety car, meaning he could pit for those hard tyres and have a late charge at Verstappen. But he felt that was a chance. That was a chance to get a race win. And I'm not saying this is the last time Carlos Sainz will ever get a sniff of a race win in Formula 1. He'll probably have plenty more opportunities, especially if he stays at Ferrari, which he is going to based on his new long-term contract. But it's a case of you feel like he has to take advantage of one soon. He already has the second longest wait in Formula One history before a race win. Uh, the or at least if he won, he would break. He would be the second longest wait. The record being Sergio Perez in his mammoth was it 195 race stint, I think, before he won in Sakir. So I feel like science has to at some point just like tick that box, get that monkey off the back. So at the moment he's the near, I mean at the moment he literally is a nearly man because he's nearly won a few times, and if we're talking nearly man in terms of wins, he is the moment. Will we one day be talking as him in terms of nearly man in terms of championships? Quite possibly as well, because sometimes you just get drivers who are exceptionally good, but they're just around someone better at the time, and just how life works out. If you think in tennis, Andy Murray has won three Grand Slams, greatest British tennis player ever. But he also happens to have been born within a few years or in the same year as Novak Djokovic, Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer, three, the three greatest tennis players of all time. So sometimes your luck doesn't work out like that and it means you end up being a nearly man or a nearly woman. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that works going forward. But I feel like science at the moment just has to get that first win ticked off and then he can start to think about... Because I feel like once he gets that first win, again, things will come more confidently. But for now, it's just a case of get that first win, Carlos, and then move on from there. I can't help thinking he should have won this race. And it, it's really frustrating because he had 10 lap newer hard tyres than Verstappen. 
that second safety car gave Carlos Sainz an opportunity to come back at max. And that Ferrari had good top speed pace. Especially with the long DRS zone. And for Sainz, this was really going to be his moment to demonstrate to the world that when it mattered, he could pressure Max, but also position himself well to take advantage of what are basically two massive helping hands in F1. You know, if you have new rubber, you have new tyres, and you have DRS, then to some extent, and you may disagree with this, there is kind of no excuse. And I felt that Sainz did give himself the opportunity on the second or third from last lap. He got within four tenths of Max Verstappen just before the DRS zone for the final straight. And during the race, you needed to be within about four tenths of the person in front of you to get that 16, 17, sometimes 20 kilometers an hour advantage, depending on who you're up against um, with DRS and cruise past them. But going into the, the hairpin, he completely messed up the brakes, went so deep into it and lost the whole thing. He you know, went back nearly to a second behind Max. And then, of course, there was no hope after that. He gave it everything. And it, I just I watched it and and my, I was just thinking, would Lewis Hamilton do that? Would, you know, even mm. Valtteri Bottas do that? Because do you remember how good Valtteri Bottas is on overtaking people at the last minute? You know, he kind of has a bit of a, you know, a bit of a reputation for being able to do that. Charles Leclerc, would Charles have done that? And I can't help thinking that they probably wouldn't. And I felt that science kind of, you know, got inside of his own head a little bit. And that's probably because, as you say, Angus, he was trying so hard to get that, that race win. But I can't help thinking that it just reinforces that notion that he can't necessarily bring it when it matters. I'd say that, yeah, I mean, if you if you can, I mean, if you compare it to someone like Leclerc or Hamilton, who we know can win races and be at the top of the be at the top of the field more consistently, then yeah, I mean, it's it's probably fair to say that they in that case that they would have taken or did take advantage would have taken advantage more readily. And I mean, it's impossible to be inside Carlos Sainz's head and to to be to realise or think whether he actually was under pressure or just not really thinking that he could do it. I'm sure he does have a lot of self belief, but yeah, he did have those advantages. He did have what you would want as a Formula One driver coming out of the pits with 15 laps to go, and the safety cars bunched up the field, and you got Max Verstappen in front of you, and he's the only car there. He had that. He had those advantages, and. Yeah, I mean, if if he if he has no wins at the end of the year, then we'll look back and think, ah, oh, that's an opportunity missed. But something makes me think that he will get more chances for wins. He will get for the rest of this year, with there being so many races left, like you said, and there is a chance that Ferrari will be quick or the quickest at a few of them. Well, we know that we know that we know they'll be quick, but yeah, it's just. That was that was a chance, definitely. And you you think next weekend or sorry next race, if Leclerc's back to normal and Perez is back to normal, is Science going to be back stuck as the fourth fastest driver again? And will he think, ah, drats, I should have should have taken that chance? But I guess as a Formula One driver, as anyone, you can't live in the past. You got to try and move on. I'm sure, undoubtedly, that that's what he'll do. But yeah, the more you think about it, the more you think was that an opportunity that's gone begging. <laughs> I think it was an opportunity that, that, as you say, had gone begging, especially when you compare it to Charles Leclerc, because as you say Leclerc had an engine penalty right to the back of the grid. The only person he could get in front of was Yuki Tsunoda, because he also was going to be starting at the back of the back of the grid. So in qualifying, Leclerc kind of had to just beat him and then accept his fate. And Charles ended up in fifth place, getting through the you know getting through the whole pack. And yes, okay, he did have some problems. He did get behind a, a DRS train and then lost lots and lots of grip. And then he kind of had to go for a new set of tyres. And you might also say that he was kind of rescued by everyone else's disasters and the, the, the safety cars. But the fact of the matter is, Leclerc was able to capitalise 
And actually, I suppose the Ferrari strategy was able to capitalise, which is unusual for us to be saying, because Ferrari historically hmm. have done terribly when it comes to the uh, the strategies. But the Magic 8 ball this week was doing fantastically and put Leclerc into an excellent place. And he kept getting past people and ended up in fifth place. So from comparing that opportunity that Leclerc took to Science's opportunity, I can't help thinking but that, you know, he that Science wasn't really able to capitalise and he keeps not being able to capitalise as well. In races he keeps going off. In qualifying, in qualifying, well, he actually went off the road as well and, and had to very slowly get back onto the track because he couldn't keep on the track again. And this is a running theme. Baku, Canada, Monaco. It, it just, if you look back, he keeps going off. He keeps causing problems for himself. And he can't be happy with his, you know, with his own performance, I don't think, at the moment. And, you know, it, it is his first year in this new type of Ferrari car, which he might struggle to pick up, you know, the, the new feel, especially with the porpoising. But they always say that you're supposed to measure him against your teammate. And the fact of the matter is Leclerc is, in my books, outperforming him on, on, on raw talent, which is a bit sad because at the beginning of the season, I think I predicted that it was going to be science who did better than Leclerc given last year's result and, and Leclerc is a bit unlucky in fairness but I, I don't want to see Carlos Sainz as another Bottas but he, he might <laughs> end up becoming a little bit more of a Bottas so I guess we're gonna have to find out in that regard but as you say I just can't help thinking that this opportunity was one that science really shouldn't have missed and if he doesn't get a race win by the end of the season then I would start questioning whether or not Ferrari are going to be looking at him as a driver that's just keeping a seat warm for the up-and-coming talent. At the same time, though, I'd say, well, he may be keeping a seat warm, but at the same time, he is very consistent. If he fits the Bottas mould and Ferrari turn up next year with an even quicker car and find themselves comfortably in the front of the field, he'll be exactly what they need. He'll be the, the Bottas to Charles Leclerc's Lewis Hamilton. So... <laughs> It's uh yeah I mean we could be seeing the reemergence of the beige trouser uh, driver <laughs> Carlos Sainz being the new the 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 new beige trouser whatever beige and trousers there is in Spanish I can't remember from my A level but uh, he's going to be the the new one to fit that mold uh, but I'd say the one thing is there's still time and also maybe he's got the chance to get this first win or this improvement without the without the pressure of a world championship fight without the the scrutiny that comes with that mm. but at the same time if you if you if you said to Carlos Sainz right would you rather try and get you try and get a win without being in the world championship or rather would you rather be in the world championship i mean there's no there's no question which one he'd prefer absolutely um well beige i think is just beige and trousers is pantalones so you know, beige pantalones <laughs> for Carlos Sainz, which is a, a bit of a shame. Um, it, but it, it, as you say, it's a bit of a shame to, to resurrect that particular trophy. Maybe we'll have to come back to it at the end of the season, um, the Beige Trouser Award. Um, but, I, you know, the Mr. Beige Award is, is one that we give for a joke, but also because it, it does kind of mean something. And I just wonder how many Carlos Sainz fans out there are thinking that their driver has lost a bit of spark, a little bit of magic this season, because when he was at McLaren, I felt like he was able to own everything a little bit more. And as Ricardo has sort of lost his spark in McLaren, I don't want science to get lost in the Ferrari machine because I feel like he is too good for that. He has completely excelled throughout his career and, and to get lost and overshadowed by a driver that you know is another once in a generation talent in Charles Leclerc then I think that'd be a crying shame and to some extent it wouldn't be good for Ferrari itself because I can only see resentment really coming from that I think that's one of those unique things about Bottas was he was able to sit under team orders and he was able to accept his fate as a second driver because and I believe this he took great satisfaction from the fact that under him and Lewis they gave 
Mercedes those many world championships, those constructors world championships, and he had a huge amount of respect. And he's still friends with Hamilton to this day. But I could see Carlos Sainz feeling dejected and underappreciated at Ferrari, especially if Ferrari then, you know, make things worse by making mistakes, which typically, fortunately, they have. But moving on now from Ferrari and Red Bull, the triumphs and tribulations there to, I suppose, mixed emotions over at Alpine. So much potential during qualifying when Alonso got a second place finish in qualifying. First time he got onto the front row for, you know, a decade. But unfortunately, Alpine just couldn't really convert that into much success angus where did alpine go wrong this weekend i want to say that they didn't do much wrong i actually think they were unlucky alonso especially i guess if you were to talk about things that went wrong perhaps you could say in the race maybe alonso used up his tyres by st- by not pitting the virtual safety car. I feel like Alpine would have played an absolute blinder had they done what Verstappen and Hamilton did during the virtual safety car, which came out because of Sergio Perez's technical retirement. If they had pitted during that, I feel like they, well, they definitely would have been ahead of Hamilton by the same distance, would have been behind Verstappen by the same distance, and would have had the chance to undercut uh, Carlos Sainz, and they would have been in, in a second place on merit. So maybe that was the poor decision they made, but at the same time, a lot of the pit strategy sometimes in Formula 1 and when you pit is down to bad luck. It's down to the fact that where you are on the track uh, dictates when you can pit. For example, Fernando Alonso was going just down the pit straight. He just passed the pit entrance, which is just before the final chicane. And then the virtual safety car comes out. And he's probably sitting there thinking, ah, missed the chance there. That's terrible timing. Whilst for someone like... Hamilton, he was on the back straight. He could see the pits in front of him. Virtual safety car comes out. Mercedes made the call. So had that been made 10 seconds earlier, Alonso, or 15 seconds earlier, Alonso probably dives in and goes for it. So that is unlucky. I think the fact as well that in the race itself, like yeah, things didn't quite fall for him with that. I think... His last lap, so he so he was finishing in seventh place, but then he got a five-second penalty post-race for Ray. And I've seen the video. There's a short clip of it somewhere on YouTube. It's a rather uh, exuberant movements on the straight. Not necessarily hugely dangerous, but enough to be considered unfair and unsportsmanlike. He's basically just come and cut across Bottas at the start of the straight, or not the start, but like near like sort of the middle of the straight to stop Bottas's momentum going past with DRS. So enough to make you think, well, if it wasn't for that, Bottas would have got past and he's been unfairly blocked. Now, whether you say that's bad luck, I, I don't think you can necessarily say that's bad luck, but I think other elements such as the safety car and virtual safety car timings did not fall in Alonso's favour. So, but you, you can't help but think, he's, he's just had a lot, I feel like he's had a lot of bad luck this year because he is, his results are strong, in qualifying especially. He's 40 years old and he's still outpacing a much younger teammate. I mean, Esteban Ocon is 25, I'll just look that up, 25 years old, so a lot younger. But he's still like doing a good job at outpacing him overall. It's just Ocon's bringing home the points more on race day. And yeah, I mean, there's only so much time where you look at Alonso and you think, well, it's not all bad luck, is it? But at the moment, it does seem like a lot of bad luck. For example... That uh, failure of the was it the hydraulics I think in Australia where his it meant his car failed. He was on for a lap, which could have put him second or third on the grid then in the dry, and that failed, costing him some good points there. Little things like Canada yesterday, just the times of the virtual safety car. He's still bringing home decent points. He's putting Alpine in a strong position in the constructors, but you feel like it could be even stronger. Meanwhile, with Esteban Ocon, I think again he's looking solid this year. He's not he's not been spectacular. But like last year, he wasn't spectacular last year, but he did a good job. He like brought home some points. He took advantage of some positions. He is getting outpaced by, in Formula 1 terms, a pensioner. But at the same time, he's like doing the right things. He's just going about his business. And 
until he suddenly gets like he's getting thrashed by Alonso, that'll be enough to keep it for him to to look good and keep going strong. But overall, I st- I still think Alpine had a strong weekend. But yeah, it could have been even better. You feel like not that there was a podium chance, but you feel like maybe like a, f- a fifth or a sixth was there for Alonso rather than what ended up being a ninth. And yeah. You can't you can't have too much a go at them, but I feel like there was something something else there, you know, to squeeze the pip of the orange, so to speak. Well, I I don't think there was any excuse for dropping Fernando Alonso from second to ninth place. As I said in the introduction, there, over you know, it's the first time in like a decade that gets onto the front row. And to be honest, I think Alpine bottled it. You know, they say that you shouldn't look a gift horse in the mouth, and they did that, but not once. Twice, twice they ignored, you know, basically a free pit stop on a plate, because we had Sergio Perez on lap seven, triggering the first safety car, and then we had Yuki Tsunoda deciding that he didn't really fancy going on a, on a lap with his new tyres and crashing into the wall on the uh, pit exit, which is such <laughs> a bizarre crash. Like, watching it back, it just was a weird one. But, you know, they gave ample opportunity for Alpine to, to respond. And instead, they just kept Alonso out on tyres that were getting older and older and slower and slower. And when, during the race... We were thinking, well, he's he's clearly, you know, he's in third place with Hamilton behind him in fourth place. He must be fighting Hamilton. And then he sort of never reacted to what Hamilton was doing, never bothered pitting. And before you know it, it's the last lap with Valtteri Bottas chasing him in seventh, eighth place. And then Alonso realises that he's so slow on these tyres that he's weaving around and he gets a five-second penalty for it. To me... That is a Ferrari-esque mistake. You know, that's on the level of, of the, the famous Ferrari strategy with Sebastian Vettel when they came, kept him out on, uh, I think it was 30 laps on soft tyres and then 20 laps on the mediums because they just got it all wrong. You know, the reality was, I think Alpine weren't ready to have to take the fight to another team, which is such a letdown because for for us... I was expecting Fernando Alonso to, you know, be able to cover the other drivers around him. And yes, he might well have lost out to Lewis Hamilton, but it's at least on fresh rubber, he could have kind of kept pace and ended up in sort of sixth place, right? Even if Charles Leclerc got up and behind Alonso and, and eventually passed him, then he would have still been in sixth place. And I was sat there going, well, actually, you know what? From second to sixth, with everyone else around them, yeah, I kind of get that. But I felt that Alpine just didn't really know what they were doing with Alonso this time. And there was a lot of drivers like that. A lot of them, you know, decided to do those extra long stints. But it, this this weekend, it was all about pitting and pitting quickly when those safety cars came out and, and grabbing those opportune moments to get the fresh rubber because no one took the soft tyres at any time this weekend. They were just completely redundant. The mediums looked like the way to go for the start, but they fell off the cliff quite quickly. And the hards, they were. everyone was expecting them just to get to the end of the race. But from those people who did start on the hard tyres, such as Charles Leclerc, it quickly became apparent that they just didn't have the life in them. So what Alpine were doing, running Alonso for such a long time, in you know, most of the race on a, a, you know, a set of tyres and not pitting. I don't know what they were doing. I don't know why they were doing that. I, I, the only thing, Angus, I could think of was they were hoping for one last chance. But with a virtual safety car and then a full safety car and not bothering to take those advantages, I just think that was such an amateur mistake. The only saving grace for Alpine, and I'm sorry if I'm being a bit harsh on them, but, you know, I am, is hmm, that I think. O- Ocon ended up in sixth place. Very, very staunch defending of Charles Leclerc from Ocon. And unfortunately, he just didn't have the the race pace to keep Leclerc back for that, you know, for that long. But I just think Alonso was getting frustrated and annoyed. And afterwards, after the race, he kept banging the steering wheel in anger. So clearly he agrees with me that they didn't do particularly well. I'm just saying that. Uh, But 
I just expect more from a team who came into this season saying that they were going to be, you know, they were going to be trying and contending for that third or maybe fourth place position in the constructors. And, you know, if you want third, you, you've got to start owning it and, and really bringing your A game because there are lots of other teams that might not be making those mistakes. So, you know, I wanted to see more, I can't lie, from, from Alonso. Maybe it would have been better if we had a wet race and because of the, the qualifying perhaps masked the slowness of the Alpine in comparison to the Red Bull and in comparison to the, the Ferrari. I don't know, I wouldn't say it masked it because we know they're not going to keep up in a race. And I think you are being a bit savage towards Alpine, I'd say. I think bottling's not necessarily the right word. Maybe they they went awry on strategy a bit, but I, just think, I do think they were just unlucky with the timing of certain things and it just didn't quite work out their way. I still think they're in a strong position in the championship. I mean... They were never going to compete this year. They were never going to win a world championship. And their best result so far is sixth, which, you know, they'd hope to improve on. They got two podiums last year, one with Ocon in Hungary, one with Alonso in Qatar. And they're still in a position to finish fourth, which I think that if you... The thing is, I think at the start of the season, if you ask McLaren whether they'd finish fourth and if they'd take fourth in the championship, they probably would have said no, they want to aim higher. But for someone like Alpine or Alfa Romeo especially Alpine on their, what is it, four or five-year plan or whatever they have. They would they would take fourth this year. They would take fourth, I'd say. And if they, they're currently eight points behind McLaren. Could they be ahead of McLaren had they played all their cards right or had, a bit, had some more luck in Canada? Yes, they could. But have they got ample opportunity to overtake them still? Yes, they do. And you're at a stage where Alpine looks definitely stronger than McLaren. Mm, yeah. The Alfa Romeo... The Alfa Romeo looks pretty good. It's now you've now got two drivers. You've got Joe stepping it up, and he looks like a points threat as well as Bottas. But I still think Alpine have the upper hand in that battle, probably, because they got a car which looks like it can compete more. Now, of course, they would have finished behind that top five: Verstappen, Sainz, Hamilton, Russell, Leclerc. They would have finished behind that anyway yesterday. But the fact of the matter is, Alonso, even when he was what passed I remember just a bit earlier in the race where he was passed by science on the back straight on like lap four or five and for a good five six laps until the virtual safety car he was keeping up with science he wasn't getting dropped he was getting a bit dropped by Verstappen but so was everyone realistically other than science at the end he was keeping up with science and he was holding off Hamilton quite nicely the pace is not on the level as the Mercedes but it's not too it doesn't seem too far off and it doesn't seem too bad so I think they're looking stronger. They're looking pretty strong overall, and their chances of a resurgence into fourth look pretty good. But it's just a case of need a bit more luck on their side, and your opinion <laughs> maybe a bit more on the strategy side. I think you're being a bit harsh, mate. I'd say I can see where you're coming from, but I think you're being a bit harsh, honestly. I'm only being harsh because I have high expectations, and going into this <laughs> season, Otmar Safnauer, you know, moved from Aston Martin over to Alpine. And with it brought the promise of bringing a team that could really you know, fight for third, fourth place. And, and you know, to some extent, they have good equal pace with Mercedes. And Alonso is king at the moment of holding up everyone else behind him. And you're absolutely right. In the beginning of the race, once science got past Alonso, Alonso was able to keep up and get in that DRS zone and basically was being dragged along, you know, out in front. Mm. And I know, look, Otmar Safnau was wheeled out from Alpine and and did say that they were really happy with the result and that Alonso might have had a, a, I think they said they had a problem with the car. There was an air leak somewhere in the car that was slowing Alonso down, which is why he was really having to weave and stuff like that. But to be honest, I think... Those problems are the ones you can't deal with. You know, it wasn't Perez's fault that his gearbox broke. And it wasn't you know, Max Verstappen's fault in the early season when you know his engine decided to die on him. Or Charles Leclerc last weekend when you know he had those engine problems. Those are the problems you can't deal with. 
But what you can do is you can really set yourself up for success. You can set your drivers up to take advantage of anything that comes their way. And I think this weekend really exposed in some teams that they didn't really know what they were doing. And it wasn't just Alpine. It was also Aston Martin as well. Aston Martin said, oh, don't pit Vettel, don't pit. And Vettel goes, well, I think I think we made a mistake there. And Alpine kind of did the same thing as well. And it's all well and good saying, do the opposite to what the person in front of you is doing. But if that means completely compromising your race, you have to think about the wider strategy there. You know, if everyone is pitting and you don't, you know, those sort of moments hmm. are, are the things that, that really grab me as, as strategic mistakes. And I think Alpine did play a couple of strategic mistakes. And I think that was a bit unfortunate, but maybe I am being a bit harsh, but Tom is usually the one here being particularly harsh and he's not here. So I have to, I have to play <laughs> bad cop in this, in this scenario. And look, Alpine, if you're listening, you, you know, you have actually performed very well so far this season. And, you know, there has been these good moments, but from second place to ninth place, I, I can't help but thinking Alonso and the team did a fantastic job of just, sabotaging themselves but from a team that looked like they were sabotaging themselves to a a team that really looked like they had come out of the gates flying maybe it was because they improved their car some more or maybe it was just because they had some good strategy behind the wheel it was mercedes's weekend really for, for me hamilton in third place a george russell in fourth place it for a moment just looks like we're going back to the days when mercedes has a very competent car. Is this a Mercedes resurgence 2.0 or are we just jumping the gun as the FIA are ruling on porpoising rules to stop a repeat of last weekend, that is the weekend before Canada, when Hamilton could only just get out of the car with back-breaking issues and feeling a little bit sorry for himself. But it was a complete revival for Mercedes this weekend. They looked like they had a competitive car, nice and fast. Hamilton looked like he was on form. You know, are we too premature, Angus, in saying that Mercedes looked like they're getting under control? Or was it that Canada just just simply favoured their setup this weekend and they were able to take advantage of other teams' failings and problems around them? I am leaning towards the latter, honestly. I'd say that, don't get me wrong, their car, it looks like it's improved and it was definitely a better performance this weekend overall in the dry, especially. I think I think the wet was the wet was kind of just a bit of a curveball. I think we can take I don't think we can take too much from the wet qualifying because it always does throw up a surprise or two and it gave us a bit of a mixed up grid. But at the same time, if you look at the race, I'd say the Mercedes look more pacey. Hamilton could keep up with the Ferrari of science in the early stages. Towards the end, before Verstappen and Science stretched their legs, Hamilton was looking pretty good. He was like possibly at one point, arguably in in potential contention for the race win. I know that kind of faded. But it does it does look more promising. The car does look quicker. There's still some porpoising issues though. I'd also say that they're just it just just doesn't look doesn't look completely right, doesn't look as glued to the track as it has done in previous years. I mean, that goes without saying, but I feel like this weekend is the one where maybe in the race, at least, they have gone from being under threat from the midfield, and especially in practice. I mean, we still saw a a, a sight of that in practice where they were just nowhere. They were, I think, 7th and 13th in FP2, something like that. So just not on the pace mm-hmm. at all, really. So I think that is one of the reasons why we can't say that they are back just yet. Of course, they got a good result, but they also had some stuff to take advantage of. Perez not being up there, which I think if Leclerc managed to get to fifth from 19th, Perez would definitely have been in contention for the podium by the end, which would have knocked a Mercedes driver off the podium potentially. Leclerc having to come back also negated the possibility of him being in the position where the Mercedes were. And... Yeah, so for, the, for those reasons, I just think that it'd be premature to say they're back. They look better, for sure. 
and there's still time for them to get better. And I keep reiterating this point, if anyone can get better, then Mercedes can, blah, 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 you know. But at the same time, it's like they're not completely back. They are just, they are, I think, I think resurgence is the word. They are sort of rekindling the fire slowly. It's like they're, it's like they're out in the forest, they're doing bushcraft and they're, uh, it's a bit damp outside and they're struggling to rekindle the f- they're struggling to make a fire or rekindle it uh, now there's a chance they may at some point and it will all burst into action and it'll be all good but for now it's still a bit damp underfoot they uh, they're having a bit a bit of tricky a bit of a tricky time trying to get this fire going trying to get the, trying to get the spark so <laughs> they yeah they're um they're returning but they're not resurgent yet there there's some excellent analogies angus um yeah and and i i do agree with you there i think because if you do put in leclerc back into play as a you know first or second place kind of driver and then you add in perez as well to that top mix which i don't think would be unfair to do then you end up with hamilton in let's say fifth place and russell in sixth place and then we would be having a very different conversation because that's kind of status quo isn't it so before, I'm so sorry, Mercedes fans out there. But so before you get all, you know, excited by the prospect of Mercedes having a, a roaring comeback and then re-challenging for the for the the win, we do have to remember that there were some circumstances in the race that caused, let's say, the the third place team to be more like a second place team. But that's okay because this showed that Mercedes had the pace to be able to capitalize on on their problems on other people's problems and you know that's the kind of of good strategy that we're that we're after but it seems to me like mercedes is going to be perpetually stuck at the moment because of their porpoising problems now the f fia did rule on the porpoising um this week and have said that teams will have to start controlling it otherwise they will be penalized and i can't believe saying this but one of our predictions in f1 in review looks like it is um confirmed to be true that they will restrict the maximum amount of porpoising um that a car can have through the oscillation level so they will look at the car's vertical acceleration and then they will give a quantitative limit of the maximum amount of vertical oscillations. So if the car is springing up and down like absolutely crazy, the FIA can turn around and say, look, you know, you're driving a car, not a yo-yo on wheels. You've got to raise the ride height. And of course, that will cause Mercedes masses of problems because that means reducing their performance. So Mm. I think it's a shame that we're, we're saying that, but it does give us hope because... I would like nothing more than a, a three-horse race to the end. It's just, at the moment, until either the FIA allow Mercedes to bring in a, a proper mechanical way to fix the porpoising issues, or Mercedes are able to develop it out of the car, I think we're going to see them in that third place, sort of fourth place position in terms of the constructors. And Hamilton and Russell, well, I think if Russell keeps his consecutive top five um, place finishes to the end of the season I think that'll be a great credit to him and that's all we have time for in this episode of F1 in Review thank you so much for listening on River Radio live or on the listen back feature or on your favourite podcast platform of choice of course you can follow F1 in Review on Twitter as well as myself and Tom there are links below And there will be no F1 next week, but there is still so much racing to be found as we have Goodwood Festival of Speed taking place from Thursday to Sunday, which I believe can be watched via YouTube. And actually, I'll be there as well on the Saturday to watch this stuff live. So definitely one to watch if you like fast cars, hill climbs and even an air show or two as well. So plenty of stuff to look forward to if you're a bit of a 
of a motor racing fan. Next week, of course, Tom will be back with us, so no more listening to just Angus and myself as we discuss Alfa Romeo, their strength this season, and whether Guan Yu Zhou is proving his talent and why he took that place from Antonio Giovinazzi for this season. We'll also talk about Haas, a team that's given so much to us at the beginning of the season, but looks like they're dropping off just a little bit. And we'll preview how the Silverstone Grand Prix might go. It is, of course, the British Grand Prix in two weeks' time. We all look forward to that one. But until next week, thank you so much for listening, and we'll speak to you then. <laughs>